Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you tonight as we dig once again into God's Word. We're continuing our series, Baked Together, thinking of what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 about what it looks like to be a Christian and what it looks like to be the church. We're thinking about that, of course, as little hills as we're preparing to launch in person this coming weekend. But whether you're planning to be there in person or you're joining us tonight, wherever you happen to be, whatever church you happen to be a part of, we should be asking the question, what does it look like to live the Christian life? And that's what Paul gets to in this next section. So let's come before our God and ask for his guidance, and then think about what it means to be baked together in doing the work of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for being with us each and every day, for drawing us together as your people. Lord, we pray that you would guide us tonight to see what you would have us to see, that we would be those who do what you call us to do this day and every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I asked on the chat prior to starting tonight what it is that will motivate you to decide to, to, decide to clean. What gets you going and makes you think, oh, maybe I need to spruce things up a little bit. And, and Melanie mentioned that it's company coming over. And right now you're my company. And what do you know? I, I, I kind of have a mess here, don't I? Let's see. I have my stapler and my little stress thing. And I hear some pens and rags and books. Ah, what a mess. I, I, I need to clean up, right? Th this is what we do when we have company coming over. We, we want to take all this stuff that normally we let pile up on our desks and tables and shelves and floor and wherever else. And we clean it all up because we want it to be nice for those who are coming over. Sometimes that's how we handle our relationship with our God, too. We, we know what God wants us to do, and, and we know that our desks of life are becoming really all just cluttered and a mess, and, and yet we keep waiting for those moments where we feel like God's going to be peering in. You know, we're going to show up on Sunday morning. We want to make sure that, that our desk is clean. Nothing, nothing to see there. But the rest of the week, we, we have our cables and pens and everything else just strewn all about as if God can't see. The Philippians were at risk of doing that, and we don't know the exact details how much they were doing that, but what we do know is that they liked to clean up when company came over. They wanted to clean up and impress the Apostle Paul when he showed up. And he's, as he's writing them from prison, and he can't be there in that moment, he urges them, don't just clean up when I'm coming over. Don't clean up your lives when you have company. Clean up every day. Focus on what God's called you to do every day. It's an important reminder for them. It's an important reminder for us. And, and a key part of that is that God isn't company. He, he isn't a visitor that comes by every so often. He's with us every day, every moment. So we're called to be thinking every moment. What has he called me to do? What does that look like? We, we need help living faithfully, and we need that, as Scripture gives it to us, that encouragement to live faithfully, and we need God's help in actually doing it as well. And that's what Paul addresses as we dig into this next section. Now, as we turn to verse 12 and 13 tonight, let me just take us back for a moment and think about what we were looking at last week. Last week, we looked at that beautiful hymn that 
recites the life of Jesus as he came into the world, humbled himself, obedient to the Father, the Son, true God, also true man, humbling himself before the Father. What does God do? Then he glorifies the Son. And we talked about exactly those implications last week. But the, the picture that we see is this, this movement from humility to glorification, from obedience to glorification. And now Paul turns to us and he says, okay, so this is what Jesus did. We thought a little bit last week about, well, how do we then live that out? And that's where he goes to further in these verses. So let's go ahead and turn to the very beginning of it, verse 12. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but also much more in my absence. So he's going to give some instruction, but he wants to say, you've done this when I've been around. You've done this when the company has been coming over. But don't just do it then. And, and sometimes we think about that, right? If you do go on a wild hair and, and you put all the stuff away, and you don't really need to. It's not because someone's coming over. You think, well, that seems nice. Or or maybe you've, you've put everything away because company's coming over and you think, oh, this feels so nice. And, and Paul wants them to see that that's the way they should be in their Christian life too. They're not doing it to impress Paul. Why do we live faithfully? It's not to impress those who live around us that we think are more spiritual or, or somehow spiritually important. We do it for two reasons. And, and the first and foremost is because we want to respond in love to God. We love God, or certainly my prayer is that you love God, and my prayer is that I love God, and none of us are going to love him appropriately enough, but but as we grow to understand his love and we love him, we should want to do what's pleasing to him. And so that's part of it. And the other part is that God made us. He knows what's best for us. And so we see these two things playing out. And yet again, the temptation is to, to think about those holy moments where we need to do what's pleasing to God and the less holy moments where maybe it doesn't seem to matter. Reminds me of uh, something that came back to me reading this that had happened back in college. I had a, a friend in college who uh, I never heard her use particularly foul language, but apparently she liked using it. And, and I never heard it because she'd noticed in class, and I was, wasn't was a pastor yet, but I was going through a ministry studies program, so it was known that I was on that track. Uh, she wouldn't use that language around me. And one day she slipped and used one foul word, and then she apologized. Oh, wait a second, I shouldn't be using that around you. And and an interesting thing, if you have served in ministry or you talk to people that do, many of us have noticed this phenomenon over the years where, where people will modify certain behaviors when they're around us. And I've had other people, they, they slip and use a, a word that's somewhat unfortunate and they apologize for using it in front of me. They don't say, oh, I shouldn't use those words. They're apologetic for using them around a pastor. And, and that's sort of what the, the Philippians were doing here. They, they were doing more of what they should be doing when they're around Paul because they wanted to impress Paul or they felt like, oh, Paul is this ministry person. Paul is this pastor. We, we should be faithful around him. And yet when you really think about it, whether it was my friend back in college or, or some of the other people I run into, and I appreciate their sensitivity to me, 
on the one hand, but on the other hand, when we realize that something's wrong and, and so it it causes us to, to hesitate when we're around certain people, that's probably a pretty good cue that maybe we should rethink if we should do those things at all. And, and that can be language. It could be what TV shows we watch or movies we watch. It could be how we treat other people that when we're around certain people, we're, we're kinder to those around us other people around us because we want to impress the the person or persons we're with. Each of us probably does that in some way, some way, maybe it's even subconscious that we just feel like we should be a little better around certain people. And yet what Paul is challenging the Philippians to do here, and he's challenging us to do by extension, is not to think in those terms, not to think, oh, this person's around, so now I should should do what I know God finds pleasing. The key is that God finds it pleasing. And so we should do it. And we should do it because of what God has done for us. And that's where we move into the second part of verse 12. Take a look at what Paul says. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? And, and I've heard people over and over again over the years ask about that phrase, work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Is Paul advocating for works here? Is Paul saying that we should be sweating every day, hoping that maybe somehow we can measure up? And and you hear people talk in this language sometimes where, where they'll say, well, I, I hope I can do enough that, that at the end of my life I'll have measured up and God will decide to save me. But is that what scripture teaches? Well, take a look, for example, at Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, a passage that rightfully should be a familiar passage. It's a wonderful one to know. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Not, not of works, but work out your salvation. How does that fit together? How is it that, that Paul can write these two letters was Paul contradicting himself? Is scripture contradicting itself? What's going on here? Well, I think what we have to do is understand that Paul is talking in two different senses here. When Paul talks about that we can't earn salvation, that, that no one does enough good works to do it, like we see in Ephesians 2, he's talking about receiving the gift of God's grace, of being redeemed, of becoming part of God's family, all those wonderful truths that we, we find in Scripture about what God does for us. What he's saying to the Philippians, he's writing to people who already believe, who already have received that, that gift of salvation. This is more of an urging to actually live out what's already true, to actually experience it. They, they have this wonderful gift of salvation, but Sometimes we roll that up and it's all rolled up and, and Paul's saying, roll it out, spread it out, actually have it in your life, experience it. Do what's pleasing to God because you're part of God's family. Experience what it means to actually be living as part of God's family. We find over and over again in scripture insights into how that actually works in our lives. For example, in 1 John chapter 5, John writes, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. 
there's a lot actually packed in there. And the first part goes back to why we don't just do spring cleaning when company is coming over with our spiritual lives. Why we, we see that God's there all the time. We do it because that's what it means to love God. If God's giving us this wonderful gift, and I hope that you've received that gift of salvation, then in response to that, in, in responding to the love that he's given us, we we should want to respond back with love of him. And And what does it look like to love God? It looks like doing the things he's asked us to do. Really, in some sense, not that different from loving each other, right? Because if you if you love your your friends and family if there's things that are important to them you do them or you try to do them you may do them imperfectly and we're going to do these things imperfectly but that's what it looks like to respond in love to god to to do the things that are pleasing to him and and john says there this is not burdensome it, it echoes in that wording john's echoing what jesus said for example in matthew 11 where he said that his his burden, his yoke was light and easy. And sometimes it doesn't feel that way. It feels like trying to do what God's called us to do is, is like doing a whole home cleaning every single day. And it, it just feels like this, is, this isn't easy. This, isn't, this is burdensome. So how does that work? Well, there, there's several things that we, we see packed in here. And when we think about responding to the love of God, what does God do in his love of us? He gives us his spirit. What does his spirit do? His spirit enables us to do the things that are, are pleasing to him. We had more time. We could spend some time and flip over to the fruit of the spirit in Galatians. And, and when we look at that, what are the things that are listed there that Paul says are the fruit of the spirit? The fruit of the spirit is this, the, the good works that God brings out of us because his spirit is working in us. If we go back to that, that picture of cleaning our home. Not only is God not company, God's the one that comes over and helps us clean. He doesn't demand that we get everything sparkling and then let him in. He goes over and finds the dirt on our desks, the, the, the piles of clutter, and starts to organize them into something useful. He takes our books and puts them back on the bookshelves where they can be used. He puts our, our pens back in the pen holder so we can find them and actually use them. Or maybe takes out the dried up ink and puts in a, a new refill. That's the sort of thing that God does. And that's what Paul goes on to say. He, he's telling the Corinthians they should be working out their salvation with fear and trembling. But he doesn't say, because you're so great and you can do it on your own. What does he say in verse 13? Take a look. He says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and and to work for his good pleasure. So God's the one actually doing the work. What we're called to do is to respond to God in love. And if you think about even that wording that Paul uses, where he says to work it out with fear and trembling, that evokes that picture, that Old Testament picture we see throughout Scripture. We certainly see it a lot in the Psalms and Proverbs, of fear of the Lord. We've talked about that before, that, that picture, not of just abject fear like, oh no, God's going to kill me kind of fear. But fear is in respect and honor. And that's all intermingled with love. If we understand who God is and, and just the stunning act that he's done by redeeming us, then it starts to become one of those things where, where we can understand what it means to fear God. We fear God in the sense that we honor him, we respect him, we love him. 
And then as we do that, we come to this point that Paul makes that, that God's the one that's actually doing the work. For those who, who confess that Jesus is Lord, those who repent of their sins and turn to him, those, in other words, who, who love him and desire to keep his commandments, then the Spirit comes in and he enables us to become more and more like him. Not only does the Spirit give us the gift of salvation, the Spirit carries us through in living out that salvation so that, in, indeed, even our works are part of God's grace. And, and Paul is emphasizing that subtly as it may be in this, in this verse 13. If you look there again at what Paul says, he says that God does this, this work, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Both to will and to work. And so God gives us the desire to do what's pleasing to him, but but we know how that is, don't we? Lots of things I desire to do and then I still don't do them. I have a watch I really like that's been broken for two years. I desire to fix it, but I never get around to actually doing it. I, I always have something else I'd rather do or I forget or whatever. What does God do? Well, he gives us that desire, but then he gives us the work itself. He enables us. As one commentator put it, he gives us the active energy so that we actually do the things that he places on our hearts to desire to do. So this comes from God. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling, well, the fear and trembling itself is going to be brought forward by God. And then everything else that we do in response to loving God, of having fear of God, is also going to come from God. He's the one that enables us to do it. And, and so that then addresses that question that we get, that nagging question, well, am I somehow earning my salvation through this? But again, it's, it's like unpacking the gift. The fact that you unpack a gift that someone gives you doesn't mean you somehow earned the gift. It doesn't mean that you really got the gift for yourself. It means that you're going to enjoy the gift that you've been given. And that's what God calls us to do. And as the one who knows better than anyone else what's good for us, when he calls us to unpack that gift and to experience that, it may not make everything easy. It may not, in a worldly sense, make the burden light. But as we start to experience more of what it is that God intends us to experience, to be more the, the, the men and women that God has made us to be, in a very real sense, it isn't burdensome because even when it's hard, we're doing what God made us to do. And we begin more and more to feel that, to experience that. And he doesn't extend, intend for us to experience that only alone. And that's the other thing we see here. This is coming in the context of an address to the Philippian church. And part of the way that oftentimes trying to live faithfully as a Christian becomes burdensome is we try to do it all ourselves. We go out into to the world, this giant sea of people, many of whom, most of whom maybe even in our particular context, don't know Jesus. And, and we try to do what's pleasing to Jesus, and we find it incredibly burdensome because we're the only one maybe around our normal day-to-day -day lives doing it. We see all the people who aren't doing it, and it seems easier not to do it. It seems easier to pick up the language of the people around us, to watch the television shows of the people around us, to treat other people the way that the people around us treat them. And, and to actually do what God calls us to do seems burdensome. We want to pick up the, the mannerisms of our favorite politicians rather than our God. We want to pick up the, 
the way of, of acting and speaking of our favorite celebrities rather than our God. Or our co-workers, our friends rather than God. And, and, and this is why he assembles us together. He doesn't call us together as the church just so that we can have an impressive number of people that have an affiliation with his church. He calls us together because he knows we actually need to be together. To, to live out our salvation in fear and trembling is something that we need help with. When we're Christians together as the body of Christ, as the church, it isn't as burdensome because when one of us is feeling weak, another can encourage. When one of us is tired, another can pick up some of the slack. But so often, especially in our culture that's so individualistic, it, it can be where that's contrary to the way we want to think. But God calls us to do that. And, and an important thing that we don't necessarily see here in this passage, because it's in English and English doesn't show us this, is that when Paul is writing this in the, in the original Greek, he's using the plural you. And some people only half jokingly have argued that in English we should have a good Southern translation of passages like this. And instead of it saying, you should do this, it should say, y'all should do this. Then we get the point. Paul isn't addressing an individual here. He's addressing the church. You, the church, should work out your faith in fear and trembling. You, the church, are the ones that God is working in to give the will and the work to do this. Y'all, y'all are getting this. That's what he wants us to understand. And, and as much as in many contexts that might seem silly, I mean, if we're not in a part of our culture where y'all's used all the time, it sounds like we're adding something in to add levity or something. But how much better would it be if our, our entire English-speaking world actually incorporated you all into the language and we used it in Scripture? Because here, then, we'd see that. Now, the salvation is individual. Some people have tried to make it where somehow the church is saving here. And that's not the case. But what Paul is saying is, all of you here in this church, by extension, all of us in the church today, this is what you are called to do. You all are called to do. And keeping in mind what Paul said before about putting the needs of others first, of being concerned with the other people around us, what do we know from that? Well, part of you all being called to do this is helping each other to do it. And it isn't so burdensome. But it's us helping each other, giving each other grace, and what do we experience as we give each other grace? Well, we experience more of the kingdom to come. It's no coincidence that Paul is urging us to something that makes the church, the body of Christ as it functions together, look a little bit more like the kingdom of heaven. Keep in mind what Paul said in the last section about Jesus and his glorification and how he now reigns and that someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess all of that glorified picture what do we know? That's where God's calling us to, to be in, to be in with him, to experience that heavenly kingdom. And so this picture of obedience, as we follow Jesus in his own obedience to his father, is a picture of moving from obedience to experiencing God's glory. Sometimes in the moment, it doesn't feel very glorious. It actually feels quite painful. It feels quite messy. It feels like I, I was trying to clean my desk, but in fact, I have all this stuff now, this new stuff I need to worry about, 
And my desk feels even messier because now I have all the stuff that God's told me to worry about here. And we think, wouldn't it have been better if I just left that all nice and covered up where no one could see it? What happens if God's taking off all this stuff? He starts to assemble us into places that we can't even imagine, to do things we can't even imagine for his glory, for that glorious kingdom and its ultimate unveiling. Reminds me of something I saw last fall, and it is a fall picture. I know everyone's excited about spring, but but if you look at this, I think you'll see why I just can't resist showing it to you. This is the Hampton Lumber Company smiley face, and it is exactly as it looks. It's a bunch of trees that form a smiley face. Hampton Lumber is apparently a family-owned company that, that raises trees uh, and harvests them over the years. And so in 2011, I believe it was, as they had harvested this hillside and planted new trees, they had the idea to plant a selection of trees of a different type that would would lose their foliage and, and get vibrant colors for a period of time so that in the midst of all the green that you see there, you would see a smiley face. Now, if you'd been looking at that hillside as they were planting it, you couldn't have been able to tell anything was happening at all. And maybe even a few years in, it might not have been obvious, but now if you're up in the Pacific Northwest, and if I find myself there in the fall, I definitely want to go see this. You can drive by this hillside and you see this giant smiley face that will be there for decades to come until the next time they harvest that hillside. What a neat thing. Just this thing that looked like nothing. If I'd been the nursery providing trees to this company, I saw they ordered a selection, a small selection of a different kind of tree. I wouldn't have had any idea what they were doing with it. And yet they had a plan. And, and they assembled those trees. And, and if you looked at those trees in the ground, it would have looked like a bunch of little seedlings. And you might have thought, well, what? that's kind of odd. They put these different trees there. If you're walking through the woods in the moment, you'd look up and think, oh, here's a different tree, but it wouldn't be apparent anything about it. But what was hidden in that forest? Well, something that you can see from a distance or something that you can see overhead, which is this beautiful arrangement that gives you this smiley face that now brings a smile to people's faces as they see it every fall. It's God arranges us, and he calls us to work out salvation with fear and trembling. And as we see God giving us both the will and the ability to do it, a lot of times we probably feel like one of those trees because we find ourselves placed someplace and it feels completely random. We kind of wonder if God really even wants us there at all. And Paul doesn't say here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling and know exactly what you're supposed to be doing every single moment and it's all going to make sense and you're going to feel so rewarded. No, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Care about the things that God's called you to do. Care about just right what's in front of us. How do we live today a faithful life? Today at home? Tomorrow at work? This weekend with our neighbors? How do we do that? And oftentimes as we do that, we can't tell from the ground in the forest that anything is happening. Yet someday as God assembles us together, someday we'll see a picture of what we're helping to form and we'll see that giant, beautiful smiley face or something even far more spectacular than a smiley face. Because what does Paul assure us of here is he gives us that will and, his, and, and work. He does it for his pleasure, for his glory. That glory that he promises we get to experience with him. 
Why does God call us to do this? He's, he's planting our deeds in a forest to raise up a forest of righteousness. We get to be a part of it. That's our calling as a church. That's our calling as believers. Let's pray tonight that he'd help us to do that all the more the rest of this week. Would you join me? Father, a lot of times it does feel like you are just placing us places arbitrarily. We don't know why you have us here or there. Maybe we still are struggling even to wonder if you even care about us. But Lord, tonight would you help us to trust in you? For the first time, then, to, to recognize that free gift of salvation that you offer us. But then, each and every day, for each and every one of us, would you help us to see how you call us to to reflect on the love that you have for us, the love that that grows in us towards you, and, and to desire to work out our salvation, to experience that gift of salvation in ways that are that are actually happening on this earth, practical things that we can do towards our neighbors and towards each other in the church, and and ultimately towards you. And would you help us to see how your spirit is there alongside taking all that stuff that we've piled up in our lives and helping us to get out of the way because it's too daunting on our own. But we know that you're the one that gives us both the will and the work. May we trust in that. And then may you help us to delight in doing that work because we know that you are right there shaping us and guiding us to where you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this has been an encouragement to you tonight. And if it has, would you consider sharing this video tonight or giving it a like or both, even better? You can help encourage someone else to, to hear about this passage, maybe a passage they've wrestled with wondering about whether that means salvation really comes through works and, and better understand what, what God intends for them, that he gives them even the ability to do the works he calls us to. And in that, then, we can come back next week and think about what he does in the midst of that, which is give us joy. We've been thinking a lot this year about joy. It's a great thing to be thinking about. And yet so often we find ourselves actually grumbling. And next week, Paul addresses that, that, that sense that we have to go and just grumble and that calling instead to be people of joy. Well, here at Little Hills, we do have something that we're very joyful about, which is the launch of in-person worship services and that is coming this Sunday night, March 27th at 5.30 p.m. And if you're in the area, we would love to have you there in person. If you're not in the area, we will be live streaming that service just like we live stream every Monday night. So you can take part because we're the body of Christ wherever we are together. And so I hope that you will be there either online or in person on Sunday. And in the meantime, if you would this week, please be praying for the preparations and all the things to come together that need to for Sunday night, that would be just wonderful. That's what we've been trying to do as the Little Hills team, trying to be focused on prayer and recognizing indeed God is the one who gives us both the will and the work. And we tried to get a little bit of that time together to kick off this launch by going out into our community and praying. And I wanted to show you just a little video of what happened a couple Sundays ago.
how we started off by gathering together on Sunday, March 13th, going into our neighborhoods and praying, praying for all of you that are here tonight, praying for people that we haven't even met yet. That's what we want to keep doing. And I would ask each one of you that's a part of this community, please do be praying for the people that God's still going to bring into our community, whether online or in person, because indeed he is the one that gives us the will and he's the one that gives us the work itself. So we need to be coming before him in prayer. We're reminded of how much we need our God and we should be coming before him in prayer by reading through the Psalms. And so if you haven't already, please do jump into our Psalms reading plan. Last night, Jason took us through the next three Psalms and we're reading those this week. Psalm 34 by today, Psalm 35 by Wednesday, and Psalm 36 by Friday. It'd be great to have you join in on that. And you can go to grow.faithtree.com to take part in discussion about those psalms throughout the week. If there's any way I can be praying for you, speaking of prayer, if you have any questions about what's going on here, please do feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen, or you can leave a comment in the comments below, and I would love to hear from you. I would love to pray for you. I do look forward to seeing you hopefully on Sunday night in person or online as we have our full in-person worship service launch, and then again on Monday night as we continue our series Baked Together. I'll see you then. Have a blessed week.